Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast for games on your table, on your screens, maybe behind the couch if you check there lately, Mark. <laughs> anyway, I, I am Daniel Winter. And this is Mark Uessa. How are you doing? I'm well, yeah. It's, it's roaring towards the end of the year here, and I'm, I'm all ready for a break. So yes, I'm very excited to have a little bit of time off coming up, maybe catch up on that backlog absolutely we're trying out a new uh segment here tentatively called the appetizer not necessarily the the most the, the hottest of news but just something of notes that each of us wanted to, to bring in what are you excited about right now mark the new vampire survivors legacy of the moonlight dlc uh so of course we covered vampire survivors the other day and this DLC was just announced quickly and then released. And uh, I own a copy of it because it only costs two bucks. But I haven't uh, played it, unfortunately, so I can't give any any notes about it. But from what I've seen, it looks super cool. Basically, it's got this pretty heavy uh, Japanese theme yeah. to it. It's got one large new stage uh, with different enemies spawning in different zones. Eight, count them, eight new characters. <laughs> and the original game had 20, 24 or something already, so that's a, quite a big chunk. 13 new weapons and evolutions, and 6 new music tracks. So if it's anything like the quality of the original game, I should uh, enjoy that quite a great deal. Excellent. This is more stuff to unlock. I, I still have not finished everything there is to see in the original game, so don't feel any need to rush into this just yet. But if you can't get enough Vampire Survivors... There's more to uh, sustain you now. How about yourself, Daniel? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I obviously could talk about uh, several games I'm, I was excited for. Hades 2 just got announced. Uh, and also a sequel to a game that I'm... Uh, an underrated game that I uh, was quite fond of. Uh, Remnant from the Ashes has, just had a uh, sequel announced. But instead, I wanted to talk about a, a much more influential game, you might say. That just hit 1.0. Uh, it has been in early access longer than early access has been a thing. That is Dwarf Fortress. So this is a game that you might say had a big influence on Minecraft. Like it's been around longer than Minecraft, than uh, any of those sort of crafting games. It, I think it was 2004. Did it originally come out? It's, it's been around for for nearly 20 years, basically. 2006, there you go. And it's basically an isometric sort of town builder, or a god game, I think. You don't directly build anything. You just sort of gently influence uh, a, a world, uh, a, a community of dwarves, uh, that should be clear. Uh, and all with a heavy focus on simulation. This game is simulating so many different factors uh parts of like it, it gener procedurally generates a history for the world and all of these dynamic events and things that are going on but originally had been completely presented in ascii art i remember friends from in my university days talking about this game but i could never really get into it that that the ascii interface was very hard to it's a, it a big barrier of entry but it now has an actual graphical rendering have you seen any Dwarf Fortress? I haven't, no, but I can already tell just from looking at the artwork that it's very 
reminiscent of and probably inspired a lot of games I, I really enjoy already. Games like uh, Oxygen Not Included. There's a game that I'm really excited to play, but I just haven't sprung for is called Rimworld, mm-hmm. which has got yes. that same over-the-top management game, 2D management game view. It's a game called Factorio. It looks like there's a, a lot of that sort of survival building stuff, as I like to call Oxygen Not in- Included, the human ant farm sort of type of game. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very much an ant farm. Like you, you, yeah. you, you are the god of this world. But also a big focus on emergent storytelling as things happen outside of your control. I mean, I, I have not played this game, but reading the stories of it are almost as fun. Just quickly, one here is an example from a Steam review. Half my population spontaneously turned into were-lizards and dismembered my militia. I've gone through more mares than months this year. There are two undead super soldiers locked in eternal combat in my oublets. Some kind of salamander monster is eating my miners and ghosts keep scaring all the children because I can't build coffins fast enough. And so there's there's so many myths around this game and hearing it spoken about is just as fun as playing it. (laughs) It really seems right up my alley. So I I don't know how I've slept on this so far, but clearly the influence of it has uh, spread far and wide. So I'm excited to try this one out. I, I may actually finally uh, overcome that that hurdle and, and give this a try sometime down the road. Well, with uh, that, uh, those anticipated games out of the way, what are you actually playing lately? A real mixed bag. I think this is like the broadest, widest range of <laughs> bizarre game types that I've brought to the table, possibly. I'll start with the, the lightweight one. I am continuing to play, surprisingly enough, a single JRPG. I've been uh, continuing to play Tales of Symphonia, a really old entry in the Tales series. I believe it was released on GameCube. And it's got uh, cutesy anime art stylings, of course, as is the hallmark of the series. These little skits, which are optional, but are interspersed between the combat. And they are well well produced and, and well written. The characters are attractive. The the world is is lovely. It's not really that... I don't know, uh, a sounding in many ways. It's just like really nice and cute and pleasant, even though there's some connotations of there's racial conflicts and there's the slavery going on between humans and elves. So there's there's some interesting things. Main character is a human who's raised by a dwarf. So there's some, there's some cool stuff, but on the surface, it's really quite light and pleasant. And, and for that reason, I'm continuing to play it. And I think I'll uh, keep going with this one. Excellent. Yeah, I think I think I've played one of them at some point over the years, but I don't remember uh, much about. It. I've completely failed uh, my uh, management of JRPGs. Last episode, I came in with two of them. I'd been playing some Harvestella and Persona Five, and I'm still telling myself that I'm going to finish both of those. <laughs> I've been picking away at both, and I also, of course, managed. I've started playing a third one, <laughs> that is Pokemon Violet. Ah, yes. Uh, Is that the newest series? Yes. Yeah, it just came out a couple of weeks ago. It actually came out like the day before I flew back from Australia. So that was that was a good little uh, flight game. I haven't. I still haven't picked up a, a lot just yet. Uh, I I haven't played the last couple of generations. I think the last one I played was Sun and Moon. I think it was. And I, I, I keep telling myself, oh, I, I, several times I've tried to get back into it and then just hit the wall of how little this series has evolved over the years. Like, I, I, it still stuns me that they have not done a true open world AAA game. 
that like, I remember being like when I re- playing the original game and thinking, oh, it's just any any in a year now <laughs> they'll they'll have the, a truly three D Pokemon game. And so I, I, I've seen that they they are starting to move in that direction with with sort of the more three D rendered uh, graphics, and and it definitely is closer to what I'd always envisioned in terms of being an open world Pokemon game. But it, it's still they've never they've not really reinvented the wheel here. They've just tacked on new bits and pieces and gradually expanded upon it but they're not they've not really gone back to the ground and, and built it up from from scratch which i think is really necessary but what is here is is quite cool that you do you are running around an actual 3d world you see pokemon running around in that world you can you run straight up to them and fight them and it's pretty seamless going in and out of combat so you're not you're no longer just running around in grass and waiting for a random battle so that part is great and and there's some and there is some great quality of life elements here. Everything is rather seamless. Uh, but and and I should say the 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 general structure is much more open now. It's no longer just going linearly linearly linear path through the eight gyms. You've got there's like three different quest lines. Only one of which is the gyms, and even those you can do in any order. So right. you have a little more um, flexibility here. I have heard that they're not; it's not scaled at all. So even though you could do anything, you're going to run into either things being either too easy or too difficult for you. So I haven't, I haven't come, I haven't hit that wall yet, but that is definitely a concern. And as I'm sure, as many people have seen, there is very clearly performance issues with this game. It is struggling on the Switch hardware. Uh, it's seemingly did not have enough time to really optimize this game, and I think that's a big part of. This series problem is they're just they're so rushed trying to get the next iteration out, they're just not taking the time to sit back and and reinvent the wheel that this series re- really needs. Just rebuild it from the ground up rather than these iterative changes generation by generation. I am, I am enjoying it for what it's worth. <laughs> All that said, that's cool. My kids have been enjoying the last two, um, uh, one of the Sword Shield ones. And they even played the Arceus. That was the their first foray into open world style gameplay. I think it was an experimental type game because it's yeah. not one of the mainline titles, right? And that one definitely seems like it's the more interesting experiment. It doesn't quite nail it, but is actually that that was like rebuilt from the ground up as a as a different experience. I, I need to but janky by the sound of it, but at least trying something new. So I'm I'm very curious about that. I've heard a lot of the sort of complaints that you've leveled at this iteration. I think some video game journalists were suggesting they take this Call of Duty model where they start to employ two or three different studios and then they give yeah. each of them two, three years to work on each title so that they can keep up that annualized schedule while giving it, devoting the time that is required to actually do some revolutionary things. But Part of me thinks that's just not going to happen because there's too many hardcores. The behemoth is too big. <laughs> yeah, there's too many hardcore old schoolers that will complain if you rock the boat too much, which is the case with a lot of uh, older games, especially a lot of older Japanese games. But on the pure RPG side, they seem to have come around quite a bit. Dragon Quest XI is, is quite different than its predecessors. And games like, you know, Fire Emblem have obviously taken the old model and polished it to an extreme degree and had 
great success with it and, and run pretty well on Switch, despite its really old and creaky hardware. Yeah, it's interesting what what the hardcore fans think of the, the traditional aspects of these games, like the turn-based elements in, in Dragon Quest or the, the random battles in Pokemon. They were all hardware limitations. Technology has advanced to the point where that's no longer necessary, but people are nostalgic for the, for the way things were. Obviously, they're running into their own hardware limitations with the Switch specifically. The Switch is, is certainly capable of a, lot, of a lot more than what Pokemon is putting out. I heard that the next iteration of the uh, the anime, the, the cartoon series, is going to ditch Pikachu and Ash for the first time in 20-some-odd years. So maybe yeah, they'll do I, something I, revolutionary with the game, too. I just heard yesterday, I think Ash is re- officially retired. He's reunited well, he, with, his, with his Butterfree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he, won, he won the competition, right, for the first time. Yeah, I don't actually watch it, but uh, yeah, I've certainly seen all that news. Good, good for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It only took that eight-year-old kid, 20 years or something to do it. <laughs> Talk about Arrested Development. Uh, okay, what else have you been playing, Mark? Speaking about old-school games, I've been playing a game called High on Life, which is a brand new game that just came out uh, day one on Xbox Game Pass. Some of you might have seen or heard that the creator is, I think this guy Royland is his Justin name, Justin Royland, yeah. Rick yeah. and Morty fame. <laughs> Uh, I don't actually really watch Rick and Morty, so I don't know a lot about it or, or the other uh, shows that uh, he's, uh, they've been a part of. But I saw some initial buzz about this game. I sort of felt like a kooky FPS, so I loaded it up. I'm, I, I think I'm in like the second world part of it by now. I probably played like, I don't know, three hours or something of it. And I'm I'm kind of enjoying it so far. Like it has a, it's very irreverent, obviously, <laughs> but uh, it's it's teetering on, teetering on annoying, which I know is mm-hmm. is part of the design. So I, I'm just like letting it wash over me, and for the most part, I, I'm still smiling. I think mostly while I, why I'm enjoying it is because the design of it is so old school. Hmm. It, it just feels like a retro game. It feels like a retro, you know, two thousands FPS. I got some Stranger's Wrath vibes. Yeah, it's got some of that sort of Metroidvania aspect to it. The graphics are nothing to write home about, uh, except that everything kind of looks gooey. Everything looks kind of squishy and soft and made out of plasticine, except for the 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 Muppet-looking teddy bear guys. Your main companion, the gun, is actually kind of funny. And if anyone finds him annoying, you can actually turn down his there uh, the amount of dialogue that uh, he says yeah so i don't know if we actually said that the, the guns all talk in this game right <laughs> uh i haven't picked up any extra guns beyond that just yet but they talk as well so uh long story short is i'm going to keep playing it for a bit uh it the gameplay will start to feel tired because it does feel very retro like for me having not played a game like that in a while it was sort of refreshing to play that. But uh, depending on how long it takes to beat, uh, some may tire of that. So I'll report further along when I've uh, after I've played some more. Excellent. I've been morbidly curious on that one. I have burnt out on the, the Royland-style humor. The, the, the trailer, the, 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 the humor was trying very hard, but I imagine it was maybe paced out a little better in the game, I would hope, that it's not just like, 
constant <laughs> the, the, the 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 jokes uh wall to wall in the, in the yeah trailer. like the the one unavoidable thing is the gun but like i said you can turn his uh speech down and pretty much you know if there's annoying characters you can walk away from them <laughs> in this game except for one very very specific and intentional case where you cannot walk away from this guy while you're trying to do important <laughs> stuff and that's kind of the the fun of it too but you can always turn down your headphones Put on a podcast like uh, like the Omni Gamers Club, perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely. I have been coasting on the the tales of Halloween and still picking at a couple of uh, horror games. I finally picked up Resident Evil Village. That is eight. So this is um, it's a direct sequel to Resident Evil Seven, but this it's a completely different setting. It's, it's like set in some Eastern European town in the middle of nowhere very gothic setting werewolves vampires etc but with with the same first person shooter survival horror as the last game and i'm really enjoying it so far it's i've i struggle at times with this type of horror where you're being stalked by monsters that you can't beat you just like the the having to run away and hide style of horror this does have that but in short bursts and it's a really good way of balancing i think that the the, the moments where you're having to run and hide and then moments where you're overpowered and and blasting werewolves with a shotgun (laughs) so you 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 the the really good pacing in these waves of of action and then hiding and and relieving that tension uh, by, by blowing up some monsters. So I'm really enjoying that. I think the, the tone is much better here too. Well, at least better balanced with some of the stupidity that this game gets away with. The the injuries that this character takes, stabbed and impaled and like strung up with hooks on his hands and like literally has his hand cut off and then just pours some magic healing juice on it. And it's fine. His hands is fine. <laughs> but it's, it's very much, it feels more self-aware of what it's doing and sort of much more nodding, wink, winking to the player, I feel like. So it's sort of almost Evil Dead level comedy now. They've gone, they've, they've doubled down so hard and it, it's, it's just become comedy. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that, how they're balancing that tone now. <laughs> nice. That's cool to hear. I played a bit of Seven and I enjoyed what I played, but I didn't stick with it. But uh, I'm glad to hear that the series is kind of going back to its roots with the nods to the absurd. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I'm still um, I'm still working through that. Any other video games on your playlist, Mark? Well, I'm going to mention one last game I've been playing and I'm, I'm going to try and stick to because it's going to improve my person. <laughs> the, what I mean by that is it's a educational game. I may have uh, let it slip before, but I've scheduled a plane ticket to go to Japan in 2023 with my family. Not for a little while now, so I have some time to go. But we're all very excited about it. And I grew up speaking Japanese in my household, but I never really studied it. So I need to brush up on my kanji. And kanji is the Chinese characters that uh, you use in Japanese. I I bought this game, among others, in the series called Learn Japanese to Survive, colon, kanji combat. It's basically set up like an old school, top-down, turn-based RPG. But instead of fighting slimes and bats you're fighting kanji characters you see your characters standing their avatars standing 
horizontally, like in Final Fantasy One, and across for them are just a series of just straight up characters <laughs> uh, written on the screen, and they're, they're sort of pulsing and whatever. And you attack them by either choosing their descript their translations from a list of translations, or in the case where they're writing written in English, you have to provide the choose from the characters from a menu. Hmm. So before that, there's like a whole lesson system. They seem to teach you five symbols at a time and all the conjugation and permutations of each of them. But it's, I think it's just the right level of gamification because, and I guess I'm the target market, someone who likes janky old school (laughs) RPGs and needs to learn Japanese to read. So, and already knows how to speak. So, so would this be a good place to start for absolute beginners, or does it help that you already had a little bit of familiarity with, with the language? Absolutely, it will um, help to l- know the language, because, you know, obviously being able to string words together is important, but there's nothing about sentence structure so far. It's just about individual words and recognitions. Right now, you would probably be better served by picking up one of the companion games. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's learning the phonetic alphabets. There's two phonetic alphabets, hiragana and katakana. Quite often you can pick up all three titles in the series together as a bundle. I think that's how I picked it up uh, on Fanatical or on Humble Bundle or something like that. So go look it out. If you like janky RPGs like me and need to learn Japanese, I think this will suit you to a T. So is this helping you learn kanji? It is. I'm also reading some learning books on the side as well. So Mm -hmm. I think the two together will help me, but like any sort of area in life where you're trying to improve yourself, you just have to stick with it. That'll be the true test. Well, I'm not seeing anything in your notes, uh, but has have any board games hit your table lately? Just the digital ones that I quite often play uh, thanks to board game arena. But one that I did start up for the first time in a while was called uh, Keyflower. Oh, yes. Uh, I think you and I mentioned it in one of our unrelated episodes a little while ago, and I thought, hey, I would like to try that one out again. So I booted up a game of that on Board Game Arena. It's, you know, it's it's just just as I remembered it. (laughs) But for some reason, I'm doing really well with the auctioning this time around. I don't know if I'm playing with novice players or whatever, but uh, my problem with that game is I would always overcommit because it's a sort of an auction-based system where you, right, yes. you have to devote a number of meeples towards these tiles which you gain. But uh, if you don't put enough, other people can outbid you. But And if you do put enough, you can commit meeples to actually take the action on the tile before it's claimed. But if someone outbids you, they gain all the meeples that are on the tile. They're actively on the tile as opposed to being next to the tile to bid on it. So. There's, there's a, a nice give and take there. And I guess I've just been like underbidding, which works to your advantage if, if, you, if you can play it cool like that. And unlike a lot of games, it's, it, the bidding happens turn-based. But in this game, if you pass and don't bid on something, you can come back and bid on something else in a later round. That's where the real magic of the game happens is if you, you can play it cool like a cucumber <laughs> and you can let a few rounds pass. Obviously, if everyone passes, the, the, the bidding ends. But if you can let some rounds pass, you can retain some of your meeples, which is your building, your bidding material. 
to swoop in and snatch up some choice tiles and get get some lower priority ones for for the cheap as well. So for some reason, this time around, it's working for me, and hopefully, uh, I, I'm able to win the game in the end. Excellent. Yeah, I've, I've played a couple of, uh, that one a couple of times in person uh, years ago. And I recall really struggling with the spatial elements of that. But it certainly does have a lot more interaction than you, than your average uh, beige euro. So yeah, it might be might be worth revisiting that one. But I, 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 it probably does play better in person with those bluffing auction elements. I suppose so. I mean, I don't ever do the steely-eyed sort of <laughs> table stairs and whatever poker-style mind games. Quite often, especially if you play this with people you don't know, you don't really can't really read them anyway. So anyone can have a poker face when you're playing on BGA. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I guess that's working to my advantage. <laughs> How about yourself? Anything else fun? Board yeah, game-wise? I'll, I'll keep it a little short just, um, so we don't run too long here. But uh, for me, these last couple of weeks have been about roll and rights. I had a friend's. Uh, bring in the, one of the probably the, the hottest roll and write of this last year. That is Twilight Inscription. I mean, it's certainly the biggest <laughs> roll and write of, of of the year. It, this is the the roll and write version of Twilight Imperium, the the famously twelve hour long four X space empire game. Uh, and so this tries to condense that into. Uh, only two or three hour <laughs> roll and write experience. So where most roll and writes you would have four, sorry, you'd have a sheet that you're, you're you're drawing on. This has four sheets per player, basically one for each of the X's. So one of the four sheets is all about exploration and one is about exploiting resources and another is uh, your military, your... Uh, extermination i guess <laughs> and yeah so it, it has all the all the races from the from the original game that all give you a bit of a a, a unique faction ability and you're you're rolling dice each round that give you one of three symbols and then you choose which of the four boards you can activate to to spend those on basically and oh, so you have you have you flip a card that gives you some symbols and you roll some dice it gives you some other symbols and so on. And each of the, the each of the boards has an interesting little puzzle. Uh, they all have slightly different twists on how you're how you're spending those resources and unlocking like building a planet on on one board might unlock something on a might, might help you build a ship on a different board, for example. Uh, so they're all interacting in various ways, but not all in very arbitrary ways. I feel you don't necessarily feel the theme of the connections they're all they're connected but very nominally and i really struggled with the symbols like you, you have these like is the generic research symbol and i don't even know what they're called they're just these vague sci-fi runes that sometimes they're colored and sometimes they're not and they all do different things on the different boards and i just found that incredibly hard to pass and and figure out what i was doing and and reading reading the iconography on the board on the board was very inconsistent I found so I, I just I, I think it's just very hard to, to track what information you have, especially when you get you, you you've got two symbols on on a card, and okay, so I know I can, I've got two of these, and then that but I unlock an extra 
action, I've got a bonus action now that I can only spend on this other symbol, then, then keeping track of how many you've redeemed and how many you haven't just gets incredibly unwieldy by the end, especially when you have bonus resources that are on, on some boards, but sort of hidden, squirreled away, so you're constantly having to scan your board to see what you've got. So it's some, some great ideas, I think, and especially if you're a fan of that series, probably ha- certainly has that flavor with all, with all of the factions and everything, but I just really struggle with with tracking information in this one. Yeah, I got to say that Roland Wrights have gone really far with uh, <laughs> the this level and size of how much, you know, chicken scratch are you willing to write on a paper placemat? To be quite honest, all of that just sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> I did have a migraine at the time, so I will, I will give it that. I, I do need to revisit it with a, with a, a clearer mind. <laughs> the last role and rights I played are Cartographers is one, just the base game. I never played the expansions, which I know there are some. And another one is Silver and Gold or something like oh, that. Yes. Yeah. Both very small box games, which are very light, uh, short and sweet. And eminently playable and replayable and i guess like that's the kind of weight of roll and write i like because it's light and breezy like it's that's the amount of inscription i want to make on a sheet before the the game runs out you know i i have long games i can play without writing on a sheet yeah it does feel like once you get past a certain threshold it's kind of defeating the purpose just just make it a board game (laughs) yeah it just seems like uh, the board game industry sort of takes drunken bets on how far they can take a simple mechanism <laughs> something went <and> too far <laughs> to to what extent that they can totally bastardize for lack of a better word and uh, go far past the original intent of what the mechanism was supposed to be it has become something of an arms race that's just gotten out of hand it tends to do that but hey you know people like the new hotness so i guess that's why they keep <laughs> making them why don't we move along to our main game of the episode yeah, let's do that. Why don't you tell us about the game we'll be playing? Well, we have been playing Spirit Island by R. Eric Royce from 2017, I should say, was, was it when it originally released. There's a whole ton of artists mentioned in the credits, so I'm not going to name them all. This is published by Greater Than Games, LLC. So, Mark, t- tell me if you've heard this one before. There, there's a remote Uncharted Islands full of, of, of resources, just ready ready for taking. You've got ships coming in full of colonists from various uh, nations coming in to, to, to claim this rich new land. Is this, this sounding familiar at all? Oh, this sounds like a great Euro game. Yeah, absolutely. Is it Catan Traders and Barbarians? <laughs> so the twist here, obviously, is that you are not playing the colonists as you would in every in a hundred other beige Euro games. You're not even playing the usually ignored, at best, natives of this island. You are playing the elemental spirits of the land that are rising up to drive the invaders away. But how then will I prove the, the European superiority and dominance over other cultures? <laughs> because there's real countries in this, right? The, some of the opponents you can choose are from actual european nations like england and spain and such right yes yeah i should say it is some kind of um i was was reading through the rule book last night it is an alternate history 
so it's not quite the 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 kingdoms you recognize like it's the kingdom of brandenburg prussia and even i think even one of the expansions has scotland coming in to colonize the land and you, so you're generally playing against one of these at any given time for, for, for each game but they each have a quite a fleshed out history as to, to why they want this island you're right when you point out the the irony is that conquest and exploitation has been at the heart of so many board games right from the very beginning. I guess it's just a sort of power fantasy sort of thing, like the earliest civilization games that you you, you start on, you know, pristine open land and you take it over and you, you that gain just conveniently, uh, Catan very conveniently doesn't have any any native inhabitants. <laughs> and of course, because of various advancements in society, most of the very naked, avaricious exploitation of space has actually gone that direction into space it is a fun twist to turn it around and and make an anti-colonial game and this is just what you're trying to do you're trying to stop colonies from getting built up on indigenous island it's not a specific island either right these are very you know random sort of islands that you can make by combining mixing and matching these little tile boards for instance Yes, and I should say, while the the, the invaders are specific real world analogs, the yeah, the island is is invented. The native people, they're the the Han, uh, very much uh, a, a fantasy people. And I, I do have a lot of thoughts on how well it handles that, but perhaps saved till the end. So why don't why don't we start with talking about how this game plays? This gameplay, like you mentioned, pretty centrally is a. It's a cooperative game in that everyone plays separate spirits, but you all work towards saving the, the, the one people of Dahan from the one island, which is made up of those various segments. So cooperative game in, in its very loosest sense, similar to a game like Pandemic, where you're working together towards the one goal of preventing the invaders from overwhelming the the Dahan populace that are spreading like a plague in pandemic <laughs> oh they sure are and and then they they even compound and, and spread depending on certain actions there's area majority there's a there's a map with physical spaces where little separate combats and competitions for for majority basically happen yeah. right? so so each each player basically has their own board that is made up of each board is made up of, of several different sort of land uh, areas so they still have some forests some deserts some wetlands depending on how number of players you each take one of these boards and combine it into one larger island so the, the right. size of the island is going to vary but nominally you are responsible for your own board though uh, as time progresses you are able to extend your influence and and better work together and and help each other out on your on your own on, on other boards and there's some distinct uh, i think every board of which there can be one two three or four has i think it's three spaces that are adjacent to the the beach right so these are sort of beach heads where the invaders can land and that has certain gameplay effects as well but not all the spaces are you can sort of imagine there's like high cliffs on the other part of (laughs) of the island basically the the way they spread is staggered this really interesting way in that one turn you'll they, they will explore on a certain type of land so okay this turn they're exploring on 
the deserts. So you put you put a little explorer on every desert. Uh, they start spawning from the, the coast and then expand outwards from there. But then the following rounds, they're building on the desert. desert. So now they've explored it. Now they're, they're building up towns and cities. But they're on that turn, they're then exploring a different type of location. And the following turn, they're starting to ravage those deserts. They've, they've built up their towns. They're now destroying the land. They're blighting it. They're killing the natives. They're now building on the previous ex- explored land, and they're build and they're exploring a third land. So a, each turn, they have this really staggered spread across the land as to how they're they're going about. Uh, so they're it, it, really attacking you on all fronts, and it's re- in, a, in a way that's really hard to keep track of. <laughs> and that part of the, I guess, the arc of the game is very important to be aware of. I think that's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for people starting to learn this game but if you play with someone that is experienced they will show you how the it, the build-up happens just like daniel described uh there's a soft start where there isn't uh, direct combat but eventually it becomes this relentless sort of wave after wave crashing upon the beaches crashing upon the the mountains and various tiles of the island and it gets even hotter and heavier because (laughs) while they might only ravage one location and build in another type of terrain, another, uh, what would you say? Another biome, another type of biome in the later game, they will ravage two biomes, uh, two different biomes, and they will build in two different biomes. So it builds and builds and builds. And there's a nice build up and arc like that. So well done to that uh, aspect of the design. (laughs) Yes, let's just spread into into three acts, and each act they they're ramping up how fast they spread. There, as we'll get to, there's a lot of different ways that can vary to that in that difficulty. But first, uh, so what 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 are you doing as a player to push them back? You are basically trying to eradicate the invaders, so you're trying to eradicate them however possible. And the primary way you do that is with the cards at your disposal. I think uh, each player starts with, what is it, four cards? Uh, usually, usually. Yeah. yeah, they usually start with four. And then over the course of the game, every type of spirit can accumulate more from, I guess, a randomized pool. Yeah, I should say that those, those four starting cards are unique to the spirit that you're playing as. Right. And they give your spirits a lot of unique flavor and distinct gameplay. Uh, the spirits, they feel thematic and powerful in their own specific ways. So the initial cards are part of that? They could easily have taken the the, the World of Warcraft path and just called it the Cinder, the Fire Elemental, and so on. But uh, here you have names like Lightning Striked Swiftly or Ocean's Hungry Graphs, very evocative names, and the, and the artwork to go with it. The artwork is 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 fantastic and and painterly, but very you know like visceral with deep kind of primal colors. Uh, so they they do that very well. The UI is a little bit more dull, but the 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 spirits are are certainly rendered in interesting ways. So you can acquire, like I said, you can acquire new cards through uh, specific actions, which you have to choose for yourself. You won't acquire new cards unless you choose to do so. But you have to do another level of hand management because (laughs) if you utilize cards, eventually you'll run out. You'll run out of your hand. Your hand will run out. Sort of like a game of Century, Century Spice Road. Mm -hmm, That game, you use your cards. 
they're still in your discard pile, but if you want them back, you have to reclaim them. And you have to take That's, a specific it takes action. takes an action that. opportunity spent just reclaiming your hand. At the beginning of each round, you get to choose your type of action, which can include one or two things from a selection of usually three options, I feel like. Yeah, usually three different types of income that you can take, whether that's reclaiming yeah. your hand or increasing your influence on the board or adding new cards. But every or, spirit is different yeah. in how that Gaining is. energy. Yeah, gain, like you, the, the energy that you spend to play these cards. But every spirit has a slightly different mix as to how these what, what these options are. Right, and some of them might be about you know gaining a lot of energy each turn and then hitting with these really hard direct effects or some of them might be about spreading out and placing that presence mm, yes. presence Pres right? presence yes yeah placing that presence as far and as wide and stacked high as possible they're basically just these discs in your own color that you place on the various places in the map a lot of cards will require that you have presence in the space where you are utilizing the effect or in an adjacent space or a space two spaces away. So if you are playing a two-player game and you have two island tiles, my card effects might not be able to reach your side of the map and vice versa. Part, yeah. Right. But as we spread our influence and meet towards the center, we will be able to crisscross and troubleshoot all corners of the map. Yeah, and yes, and, and crucially, you're also you're uncovering further bonuses. So the, the 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 more presence you remove from your board, the more energy you're gaining. The the more cards you're allowed to play each turn. So it's this real sense of engine building and powering up as as the game progresses. That reminded me a lot of some of those four XE influence style games I enjoy, like like Eclipse, like uh, Scythe. Spies, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> as a sense of you getting more powerful. Of course, all of these games are all influenced from a similar root. There's a nice arc. You gain more powerful, the opponent gains more powerful, and then you're basically clashing in these you know, very epic sort of scenarios. And I think the card effects and the card art does a good job of painting a picture of, of what exactly you're doing, right? You're, like, you're bringing the waves crashing down on the land, and you're bringing the thunder, and you're you're bringing in like uh, smoke clouds and you're, you're waking the, the wildlife of the jungles and things like that. You're doing these very thematic things from Indiana Jones or whatever, <laughs> or Lost to spook the, the new invaders to the land. Yeah, that's, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to kill them. You can just scare them silly, screaming into the sea. <laughs> A lot of what you can do is limited by what phase it is. Now, you choose that initial type of action. So both players or all players. You choose what you're going to do, you do your fast effects, and then the sort of the upkeep happens. So every round that explore, build, and ravage happens, and then after that's resolved, then it's the slow effects. So obviously, if you want to do damage control, you want to get as much done in the fast phase <laughs> before the buildup, before the attacks as possible. But some powerful effects, obviously, you can only do after the, the, the upkeep phase the, the best cards take time to build up your strength, yeah. Right, and some uh, factions play with that. I think one of them that I played the other day when you and I played can do a lot of fast effects, and I could even choose a spirit, choose a player, and enable them to take their slow effects during the fast period. 
Yeah, so then you you have all these additional ways in which the, the two, two spirits combined can combine in, in, in infinite possibilities and and synergize in some in some fascinating ways. I think maybe that's the primary strength of this game is how the the spirit types interact with each other. Because, well, I'll tell a little bit of my history with this game. <laughs> I played a couple of physical games of this years ago in the in the pre pandemic days. But it had been a long time since then. I didn't play for a long time. And then I bought the PC app, and I've been mostly playing on that. But I kind of got burned the wrong way by it. I guess it's because in most games, you would think you'd want to start small. So knowing that this is a, a cooperative game, I figured, oh, it doesn't matter how many how many spirits you choose. So I chose a small island one spirit, and I'll have no problem defending this island, right? Well, I just kept hitting my head over and over and over and and kept getting destroyed and destroyed and destroyed and destroyed. And then you and I recently had a real-time game. And then I noticed how the two spirits that we chose were really sort of designed to work together. Mine was very aggressive and offensive, and yours was very defensive and did a great job at defending attacks. And somehow together, we just synergized so well that I felt it really, the, the game come alive in front of me like it never had before. Obviously, that's how the game is intended to be played. Yeah, the, the more spirits you have, the more opportunities for shoring up each other's weaknesses, because certain spirits tend to be better at offensive. Like they, they, you, you literally see on the on the back, that it'll, it'll give you bars to how good they are at offense, defense, control, utility, generating fear. They all have these different, uh, like the better or worse in, in each of those five categories. And I mean, you, you, you really have to strike the balance between focusing on your strengths but if you have other, other players, they can help cover up those weaknesses that you have at the same time. Right. So I would say that that level of asymmetry is very exciting, obviously, to a lot of board gamers because board gamers, for some reason, really pitch and wail about replayability, even though they'll probably only play a game like three times. But they, they love to harp about replayability. So with the base game's spirits, of which I think there's quite a lot, and let alone the expansions, which add tons more you can replay this game so many different times and it sort of feels like a different game when you try a different spirit and it's different gameplay styles i would say that to me while that would be exciting to some to me it was a bit of a barrier because it stopped me from coming to understand the game and coming to understand how i was supposed to play the game and for the most part i don't love being told how i should play this is, now, this is different than other games that have lighter touches towards their variability. So I mentioned Scythe before, I mentioned Eclipse before, you know, even Pandemic comes to mind. All those games have very mild and slight differences between the player powers that are very, very easy to understand. It's just like a little bit of, of a plus one in this one of the corners of the gameplay mechanisms that every player can deploy. Mm. But I guess when I faced this game and, and, and similar other games that have very wildly different factions, like something like Roots, where Roots, each, each yeah. spirit that you play as feels like you're learning a different game. Yeah, Root is the sort of the epitome of that, absolutely. Terra Mystica is another one that comes to mind. 
you, you can do all the same things as any other faction in Terra Mystica, but... To really succeed, you have to be very specialized. <laughs> right, you have to be specialized, you have to be into the role that you're playing. And I guess, you know, with all the reading and all the dozens of factions boards in front of me, spirit boards in front of me, when I was starting to learn how to play, it just like seemed like too much. Too much of a barrier for me to get into. Yeah, it, it definitely is uh, a lot to take in. Uh, a lot of moving pieces in this game that I can <laughs> I can absolutely see it being overwhelming. But once once you're over that hurdle and at least have mastered say one spirit, then you, there's a lot of fun, a lot of discoverability in exploring those other spirits and how how different they all are. Yeah, absolutely. And and I like to say that I have come around on it. I, I overcame that initial hurdle. I guess basically by, you know, playing with someone who'd played before, like yourself. Obviously you can play cooperatively, so if you're if you're not both novices to the game, then you can just sort of take the lead from the other player and uh, maybe take their suggestion of which faction to play. And as long as they're not being too much of an armchair quarterback, <laughs> eventually you'll you gain to learn your spirits effects and cards pretty well. Gaining the new cards can be a bit of a challenge. But once I learned that, what are they called? The affinities or the... The, the ele uh, elements. Element elements, yeah, that's yeah. right. Basically, each spirit board is lurking, looking for about three or four different colors of elements. And that if you choose cards that include those elements, then you can utilize these innate abilities if you combine the right amount of those elements. So it's sort of a no-brainer. Just choose those ones and you <laughs> should have a good synergistic effect. You, you mentioned quarterbacking there, and interestingly, this is a game has come up a lot as a, a great game to counter sort of the alpha gaming tendencies, because there, there is so much going on in this game that no one person can really take the reins and direct everyone. You kind of have to let everyone be the master of their own little domain. And I, to, 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 to have my own little flashback here, I kind of had the opposite problem that there wasn't enough <laughs> quarterbacking almost. Uh, so I played, I first played this game, it must have been just after it came out or shortly thereafter, the, the very first Chucks in 2017. I uh, played with a few uh, guys there who who had all, all knew each other. They all were very familiar with the game. They knew the they knew all the cards, like the back of their hand. They, I, I seem to recall them being Magic the Gathering players. And same as playing a game with Magic the Gathering where they're just playing cards left, right, and you just, it's just assumed that you know what X and Y cards do. There's no time to stop and read out every ability. <laughs> they were just playing their own hands and there was very little interaction and discussion with what was going on. And I, I was really looking for some guidance and some collaboration, but everyone was just left to their own devices. And I really struggled with that at the time and bounced off this game and hadn't played it for five years and only recently having come back to it. So I, I do think that's something to be aware of in at least if, if you're teaching this game, tr having to tr try and find that balance between how much you're guiding people and how much you're letting them do their own thing. There's a great deal of complexity to this game. Like this is not a gateway game by any means. A lot of moving pieces. Yeah. Yeah. This is not pandemic with a new reskin. It's a couple of degrees more complex than that. And I, if you fall under that role, if you are a reformed pandemic player, <laughs> just had to, has played everything that they could play out of that, but wants a couple of notches more complexity, 
an interaction, then I think this would suit you pretty well. You know, I don't have a strong desire to play cooperative games. I can't think of a lot of cooperative games that I am attracted towards. I hardly ever play them, so I I, I won't say that I'm an expert in that area. Probably Pandemic, Forbidden Island. I do love Forbidden Island. It's a a sort of very streamlined version. I tend to prefer my my cooperative games with story, though. Right. The very thematic one, like uh, Arkham Horror, LCG. Right. That sort of thing that is telling a story. There isn't so much of a story here. You do, like I said, the spirits are evocative enough in what they're doing that you can absolutely tell an emergent story about the the abilities that you're using. I guess there's that Marvel Heroes, right? That's a cooperative one. Marvel Champions? Maybe. Yeah. I'm getting confused with all the Marvel digital games. There's a lot of Marvel. (laughs) That's another card-based game from FFG, which is kind of like similar level of complexity without the board. But unlike Spirit Islands, the cards you start with are fixed i think if you like cooperative games i think you'll know that uh, that you like them and this is a potentially good option for you if you like that level of complexity yeah so there is a huge mental load in this like i said you've got your the cards you're adding in the, you've got the, the three staggered levels of the, the invaders coming in you've got whether your cards are fast or slow but your energy to manage you've got the elemental affinities to manage it is it is a lot to process and as, as games go on, those tiny calculations start to really coalesce and become a little more natural, like knowing how much damage the the enemies do and how to anticipate that. Like, they, uh, you do have the, the native people, the Dahan. They have a presence on the board. And if they're attacked and survive, they will retaliate and do damage. And a lot of, one of the big strategies is setting them up in such a way that they'll survive the attack and then fight back to to do indirect damage but those tiny moments of math there is a lot of calculations and you have so many options at any given time you the, the attackers are coming in on so many fronts i was reminded by i'll show my my, my cultural relevancy here I was, i've been watching Andor, and there was a, a line in there it's easier to hide behind 40 atrocities than a single incident and, and this really feels like you know, the invaders are attacking you on all fronts and you, it's easy to get paralyzed by trying to figure out where to stop them. You have to be quite surgical in how you, you can't, you cannot fight all, you cannot fight in every region. You have to pick your fights. Are, are you, are you going to go, go fast and kill the invaders right before they're about to attack a, a, a land? Or are you going to take out the lone explorer before he can even build a town? And trying to prioritize and decide where your where where, where those strikes are going to come from is really crucial to this game, but can take a lot of analysis to to process all of your options. I think you'll probably find a gameplay style that you like. So be that offensive, or be that defensive, or be that supporting. You'll probably find one of those styles that you like, and you'll probably find a couple of spirits that fit that mold. Yeah, I can see some players as finding their favorite spirit and just wanting to really double down on learning that spirit and optimizing it. And like, you can play on on higher difficulties, and just that this is this is this is my dude. I like this kind of I like this spirit. Others like I I personally like the discoverability of exploring all the different ones. You know, this game has the aspect of you have your fixed starting cards, but the the cards you acquire are variable, are randomized. Mm. So 
there is yeah. that level of variety to it and it's exciting to see new cards there i just ended up going for more card plays and a lot of minor cards well the, the minor cards are obviously cheaper to play it'll take less energy to play but when you gain a major card you have to abandon an older card right yes yeah they tend to be more powerful cost more energy but you also have to forget a some part you, you, you the you, it's literally you, your spirit evolving with the ages and forgetting some aspect of your past self right but the minor cards i don't believe you do you just acquire them they go into yes. your hand yeah. and then uh, eventually they'll get discarded but i ended up going with minor cards all the time because if you have more card plays, you have more opportunities to show those elemental symbols mm -hmm. that'll let you play your various innate abilities, of which every spirit has a, a different set of them. And I liked, I guess, the, the variety that it, it gave me. And I didn't like the forcing uh, a choice of losing a card, especially if all the cards, I like all yeah. the cards that I have. Yeah. So I don't know why another player would choose to acquire major cards <laughs> to be honest but obviously they're powerful what i might do is i might go for gain a few minor cards and then gain a, a couple of major cards that's after. the general arc yeah and you you can i should say for as terms of, of uh, accessibility you there are four starting spirits that are relatively easier to learn and they even come with a card that says okay if when you gain a new card just take this one don't worry about drawing four cards and choosing which one like you just given a list of cards okay these are the ones you're going to acquire in this order so just it can help ease uh, new plays in a little more yeah that's more like uh, having a fixed uh, set of cards and suggesting cards yeah i think I, I could see that that would be a really nice way to introduce players to you know, card affinities so speaking of, of accessibility this is something i clocked in eric's other game for science All, everything we've discussed here is just the base level of the game like that's the best, the, the the default difficulty that you go in on, but then there are so many ways of customizing the difficulty. You, there are adversaries, like there are multiple adversaries that each have six levels of difficulty that are each ramping up, and basically giving the the invaders additional powers. But in, in each adversary has their own way of doing that like some build faster some explore faster it just makes the game harder in, in multiple ways there's not scenarios that basically a little change the core mechanics of the game like i think one of them is just all cards are fast now basically they're just it's, it's the blitz but the invaders also go faster oh, you can, that's right so all the boards these island boards you can flip them over to the thematic side that uh, have a, a, a sort of colored in a much more natural way. They're grouped in such a way like the, all, all the deserts are now together, all the, the forests are together. So they're grouped so that they're more thematic, but it actually inherently makes the game harder when, when all the forests are together was the, by the way that the invaders spread. So you have so many different options here to customize how difficult you want this game to be it really only goes gets worse from, from that base default level but i found in, in there being so many ways you can make it more harder it kind of takes away the pressure of there being one right way to play it it's not it doesn't shame you for playing at, a, at an easier difficulty it's just this is just what's right for you there's specifically a line that just says look if you if you realize you've made a mistake don't sweat it 
it, it's fine. <laughs> like that, that's just the difficulty you're playing at now. So I, I, I feel like some games like it's the easy mode. Like what, what is it? Um, like Wolfenstein, those old shooters where they have like call me daddy is the easy mode or something or other. Uh, there's really none of that implied shame here for just playing at a difficult level that you feel like it. In terms of gameplay variety, the one we played most recently had uh, specific like event style cards that happened every round, right? That yeah. are intended to shake things up. Yeah, so that's an expansion thing. Before I, before I jump into that, I, I should say, so the, the base game doesn't have events. And so it's a very deterministic game. The start of each round, you're playing all your cards. You know exactly where the invaders are going to ravage, where they're going to build. The only thing you don't know is which is where they're going to explore. So that's really the only wild card going into each round. And maybe the fear, like the, the effects of your fear are a little randomized, but they're all, that's, that's, they're all good and to your benefit. So it really is a deterministic you can really math out, okay, I'm going to do four damage here, then they're going to build over here and do two damage to the Han. You could, you could sit there for half an hour and math out every computation and, and try and find the optimal solution. Yeah, so, because uh, you know we talked about the different phases, explore, build, and ravage. You can have a little bit of a, a preview of the roadmap of the progression of the thing. So yeah, explore is the only thing you're unaware of mm-hmm. because it's, it flips new every time. So what events do is they basically throw a spanner in <laughs> that all together. So that, they're they're introduced in one of the expansions. So I don't know how much weight we should put onto this, but basically at the start of each invader phase, you're going to draw an event card and it will, there's, there's, there's three phases to each uh, event card. One is the invaders will do something generally bad. Uh, the island will do something, so the animals may attack, or, or there's, there's animal tokens that will move around. They will either attack the invaders or migrate. Uh, there's disease tokens that will sometimes kill the Dahan, sometimes kill the invaders, or prevent certain things from happening. And then there's the Dahan uh, will have an action where they'll 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 migrate or they'll attack. And there's like 50 of these cards. So there's a lot of different things that can happen, a lot of permutations that really throw a wrench in your ability to anticipate what's going to happen. And it can, can be very random. It could be like literally the, the, the worst thing. You, you might have the game locked if only th- this town isn't isn't there. But suddenly you get the worst card that spawns three new towns and and it's game over for you. So, so the the luck can be a little more swingy, but I appreciate how much more dynamic it can feel. The island feels alive. The Dahan have their own will and are moving around the board. The animals are, are just running amok and killing things. It almost it stops the the analysis paralysis a little bit in that you you can't math everything out, and so that you just you're encouraged to improvise a little more, just wing it and. Take a, take a chance. You have to. You have to. You're never going to be able to have everything under your control. You can influence the game, but you don't have direct control over it. Yeah, I, I agree with what you say there. You know, part of we haven't really talked about this, but part of the theme that sort of irked me is, although I enjoy anything that tries to fight against colonialism, <laughs> this game oddly disempowers the indigenous people. Of yes. the island by taking their agency away. They are basically for you to use. They're like a they're a pawn that's being played with by two factions that have power, but 
you yourself as a faction don't have power. For your, for your benefit, basically. <laughs> right. So that aspect of the, the game, thematically, I, I don't enjoy. Basically, these people are powerless without the help of the this deus ex machina sort of a thing. I say they, they also have no identity. The adversaries all have like two paragraphs about their alternate history. We know nothing about the Dahan. We know we know right. that we, we know they're not a a monolith. Like there is there is a line that oh some of some of them trade with the invaders and others fight back. So we know there are different factions within them, but we have no, we don't you know nothing about their culture. They're just an amalgamation of various various Pacific Islanders, basically. <laughs> they're a variety of brownish people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. according to the artwork, anyway. So I like how the events sort of make the gods powerless as much you know victims of, of circumstance mm-hmm, as absolutely. the dahan are yeah it's, it's certainly not the worst ever yeah i i, I prefer that that mode of playing but it, it makes the island feel more dynamic and alive it makes for more emergent storytelling uh but, but if you're the type, sort of person who wants to to take that time mapping out the deterministic probabilities then maybe that's not for you but you don't have to play with events <laughs> right so I'm going to start uh, um, saying, you know, what I generally feel about this game. I, I, I'm generally positive, as you probably heard from what I've said about most things. I wasn't positive coming into it. You have to be a fairly advanced board game player. Certainly not, um, uh, certainly not a gateway game level at all. Uh, but uh, what I would say about this game is it's a great cooperative game with a lot of depth and a lot of replayability. But if you don't like cooperative games, you're not going to enjoy this game. Uh, I don't love this sort of style of, of gameplay. I, I basically like to you know, play my own way in games. I, I tend to prefer competitive games. And you know, I even like PvE games, but cooperative is just a different beast. And of that type of game, I think this is an excellent, well-designed iteration. But just for myself, I didn't love it. So just be forewarned that <laughs> if you don't like these style of games, that you probably won't like this either. Yeah, your, your mileage may vary basically on, on cooperative. Like this, this is going hard on cooperative. So if you, it's, it's doubling down on, on cooperative gameplay completely. So if you like some cooperative, like lighter cooperative games, this is yeah going going all in on on that. So uh, it, it's also going to depend on on the group dynamics as well because I think setting the rules for communication here can be really key to how much time how much people are going to enjoy this game, especially playing with new. If you're introducing it to new players, you really have to make an effort to set the tone for how you're going to be communicating. Who's responsible for what? How much you're going to help? people without being an alpha gamer so i think yeah you have, you have to manage expectations a little bit so i just want one addendum to the discussion we were having on the 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 nature of the dahan i should point out eric has addressed those concerns and, and wants to to find ways of giving the dahan more agency he's apparently working on an expansion that is very dahan centric uh, and, and and giving them more of an identity, so that that is in the works apparently, because uh, this this game is constantly being brought up as a paragon of anti colonialism. There is a real 
push right now to decolonize games. Just this year, we had Sky Mines, uh, a rebrand of Mombasa, I think it was. It take, takes it from the the diamond mines of, of South uh, Africa to now it's in space. It's okay now because it's in space. <laughs> um, you've got Puerto Rico eighteen. 18- 97 i believe is about to come out which is like one of the classic euro games that is finally having that part of its history sort of amended and and giving voice to the colonized but i don't know that this is this game is the answer to that i i i really appreciate that it's opening up a discussion if nothing else i don't know that it really it's not the most nuanced take on, on colonialism to be honest i mean it almost feels like it's got more to say about climate change, really, like the the Dahan working in nature, work, working in balance with with the spirits versus the colonizers just spreading disease and, and exploiting the land, and like it's it's almost like a, a revenge snuff film by Mother Nature. <laughs> um, to touch upon another pop culture uh, reference, it's pretty much as woke as uh, the original James Cameron Avatar movie was. Yeah, I was getting some very Dances with Wolves vibes. That said, one of my favorite cards in this game is, uh, I think it's called Call of the Dahan Ways, which is you you literally convert the uh, invaders into Dahan units. <laughs> uh, mechanically, I, I really enjoy that. But yeah. So I, one, of, one of the invaders will quote-unquote go native and then become the hero of the entire game, right? That's, yes, That's yes. the way all these stories work He's named work out. now. <laughs> I, I, I call it the last of the Dahan. <laughs> and it's a white guy. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this, 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 has, this game does put a lot more thought into it than 99% of games. And so I, 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 it has to, absolutely has to be given props for that. It has opened the discussion on what colonization what colonization in board games means. So I, I respect it for that. Which I should say, so did you have any favorite names in this game? Names of cards or spirits? That was that was a, that was a big part of, of this game, I think, is just exploring those different identities, the, 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 um, the titles. You know, I don't know what it is about me in games is I never read the flavor text. <laughs> I never read the flavor text. I never remember the faction names. I hardly remember what they do. I guess I'm just a curmudgeon about that sort of stuff. So I appreciate the splashes of color and the light touches of theme of games like this, but I never take it to heart. I kind of forget what they are one session until the next session that I play them. So I would say, no, I don't have a favorite. I prefer the simpler, easy to play factions because they're easier for this novice to understand. And uh, I guess moderate, I, I, I chose a moderate last time. It was enjoyable. It had to do with pushing and pulling the Dahan a little bit more. And that was exciting. Uh, uh, Thunderspeaker is that faction, yes. I, I, I did really enjoy that one too. All right. I guess you could say I enjoyed the Thunderspeaker then. <laughs> but in terms of theme, no, that sort of washes over me. Yeah, the, na- the names are a lot. Like, they're, like I said, they're very evocative in the moment, but they're also just, they wash over you in a way that is very, it can be hard to recall at times. Um, I, I just, I'll just shout out, my, my personal favorite is uh, Many Minds as One, I think it's called. The image is basically the, the I think it's the, called the, the, the susurrations of the swallows, like when they move in this sort of gaseous formation. Uh, and you're basically utilizing that, 
the masses of the of the the birds. You're and the, the last smoke monster. Yes, yes. <laughs> you're basically you you're embodying the, those creatures uh, to 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 rise up and and take over the land. And just thematically, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> of course, you also have cards like Angry Boars. Keep it simple. <laughs> uh, one last note for me is that game I was trying to uh, remind you of is called Imperium Classics. Oh, okay. I, I, th- I was uh, yeah, it is, it is like one of my favorite games from last year, but I uh, I thought you were talking about a different game. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. Well, uh, what do you think, Daniel? Should we talk about the game we're going to be covering next time? This game is quite relevant right now as per the, the Game Awards. We'd already decided to, to cover this. What, what are we talking about next episode? Yeah, we're talking about a very colorful and, and a very stylish little roguelike, roguelite, I suppose, called Hades. Uh, it's a few years old now, but number two was just announced at the Game Awards. Yes, I'm very, very excited timely. for that. Uh, Supergiant has not done a sequel before, but uh, I'm a big fan of, of their work. I have played Hades before, but uh, looking forward to to revisiting this. And I should say we are covering this because we have a special guest to be announced who wanted to talk about this game. Right, yeah. So this uh, this person will be just the right choice to talk about Hades and will hopefully school us about it uh, because I... I, I have played and enjoyed Hades, but I'm not very good at it, let me tell you that. <laughs> yeah, talk about games that ratchet up difficulty to impossible levels. <laughs> right. So that's something to look forward to, yeah. Keep an eye out for that. Excellent. Well, uh, I'll, I'll let you get back to some games. Hopefully we will have some time to, to, to catch up over the, the holidays. Uh, otherwise, uh, play those games. Yeah, absolutely. And you can reach out to us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com. You can hit our up our website at omnigamers.club. And of course, omnigamersclub on Twitter while yeah. it's still up. Please send in your, your questions or comments. Like, what, what are your thoughts on Spirit Island? What are your favorite spirit names? And do you have any questions for Hades? Keep in touch. Which Greek god do you want to date? I don't know. Oh, there's so many to choose from. (laughs) Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye.